0: We are uh just let me open with a few announcements I guess and then we'll jump into our study. Um so many of you know if you were with us last week, um we're kind of doing a like a mini study through um really it wasn't intended to be a book of, a study through the book of Daniel, but um it's going to kind of be that. And so uh I came across this, it's a life a lifeway resource and it talked about basically the idea of developing strong convictions in our world today. Like how do we develop strong convictions in our world today? As followers of Christ, we live in a fallen world. And so we want to know how can we grow closer to the Lord and stronger in those convictions, not just responding emotionally, but having a conviction, something we can stand on and hold to. And so uh, coming across this resource, this curriculum, uh, we're going to take the next few weeks. uh, I think we have, uh, this is the second week. So we've got This week, there's five more. So it was a six-week study in total. And we'll walk through, really, the book of Daniel is kind of a blueprint for how to do that. Um, And hopefully the Lord and prayerfully the Lord will continue to grow us in that. But before we dive into that, um, I do have a couple announcements to share. So um, praise the Lord. We had uh, two couples in our membership class this afternoon. So we're praising the Lord for that. Um, And that goes again next week. So if you know anyone interested in that, please let them know about that. Um, Also, we have our baptism Sunday coming up. And so if you've not been baptized following your salvation, we invite you to be a part of that. We have Christmas decorating going on. Uh, here just a couple of weeks which is pretty crazy to think about but that's going to be going on saturday december 2nd 10 to 3 Uh, with that we're always looking for tons of help so this is for families kids teens anyone can be involved in this Uh, the student ministry actually has their mall hunt that day but sometimes in the morning we'll have some students that will help bring stuff down from the kind of the christmas tree room as we call it Um, and so you can jump in and help with that again Always looking for more help, men and women involved. Uh, We've got a bunch of trees that need to be put together. And so it's always great to have a lot of help on that. If you can only do it for a little while that day, we ask that you would come earlier. Don't come later. Uh, We may be done a little before 3 And so we'd like you to come at the beginning or towards the beginning if you can, just so we can get as much done. And then you can go ahead and take off when you need to leave. Um, Also, Operation Christmas Child shoeboxes are due today. And so as we said this morning, if you've not brought yours in yet, please do so by Wednesday. And then also want to remind you that next Sunday morning we will have our communion as well. So that'll be going on during our morning service. And then again, um, excited for the next week to be Baptism Sunday, so don't forget about that. Um, Other than that, just a reminder about D. Scott's um, memorial service. Uh, That is going to be Thursday. Uh, There's visiting here at the church from 12 until 1, and then the service will be at 1 o'clock with lunch to follow. So if you're able to be here for some of that, uh, we'd invite you to be a part of that as well, be praying for the family. Uh, There will be a graveside service that morning for pretty much immediate family and and really close family friends. And so that's going to be going on in the morning from, I believe, like 1030 to like 1130. And so be praying for that as well. Um, And then we'll have our memorial service here at the church at one. All right. So let's do this. We're going to open up to the book of Daniel. I don't have a handout for you guys, as I said before. Um, We're taking a little bit of a break from handouts, but if you'd like a copy of the notes, please let me know. If you want handouts, if you like fill in the blanks, you can let me know too, and then I can start making some up. Um, But if you want to take notes, we encourage that, obviously. So uh, if you did not bring a notebook this time around, maybe next week, bring a notebook, pen and paper, and be able to take some notes. And so tonight, what we're going to do is we're going to be in Daniel chapter 2. So Daniel chapter 2. And we're talking about praying with passion. And I, I always love when the Lord brings things to our church in kind of uh, multiples. And what I mean by that is this. So um, our lady's uh, Bible study was on prayer uh, and different aspects of prayer, models of prayer, all kinds of things like that. Um, I feel as though this morning we really, I really felt like prayer was a big thing the Lord was trying to stress in our series over the next three weeks. And then now we find ourselves on Sunday night talking about prayer. And so again, I always love when the Lord does that because what it reminds me of, or what it shows me is that seemingly the Lord wants us to focus in on this. And I believe for a reason. Um, usually the Lord does things like this because as we grow in a discipline like prayer, maybe there's something coming down the road that we need to be stronger in prayer. So we're prepared for that, if that makes sense. And so I'm always thankful when the Lord brings these things, these little reminders. Um, you've probably had this happen before where you'll be reading in a certain passage. A certain thing will jump out to you and you think, oh, Lord, thank you for that. That was great. I'm glad you gave me that today. And then like a day will go by or two days will go by and then somebody will be talking to you and randomly bring up the same thing. And you're like, okay, okay that was kind of weird. And then you get to church and I've had to happen. people, you know, like you preached on this whatever day it was. And uh, the Lord just reminded me that I've heard that four times this week or five times in the last two weeks or whatever. So don't let those moments pass by as just coincidence. I don't believe in coincidence. I think the Lord, is, the Lord is working something in your life and in your mind, and we need to recognize that. So, diving into Daniel. So, let's do this real quick for those that weren't with us last week. Give me a real quick review of where we started last week with Daniel 1. Where is Daniel? What's going on? Let's talk a little bit about that. So, uh, somebody first tell me, where is Daniel as this is all taking place? Where is he located? Yeah, Zach. Okay, he's in Babylon, and why is he in Babylon? Okay, he's taken captive, but who else is also taken captive? What's that? Okay, specifically the Israelites, the southern kingdom is taken captive, right, into Babylon captivity. There's Daniel, and who else is with Daniel that we know for sure that we read about in the, the book of Daniel? That was awesome. You guys all answered like different names and all at once. It was great. What was that? Okay, Rach, Shack, and Benny, right? Absolutely. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which we discovered last week. Those are their Babylonian-given names, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And we talked last week that why were Daniel, these three, and others, why were they set aside and and kind of set apart from the rest of the Israelites that were captured by, Babylonian, by the Babylonians? Why were they set apart? What made them special? Okay, they were smart. They were handsome. I, I actually just talked about that. They had a good countenance, right? They were intelligent. Okay, they were seemingly men that could learn quickly. And so what did the Babylonians want to do with these four? I mean, there was more than that, but these specific four, because they were all those things, what were they hoping would happen as they draw them into this kind of inner circle? They assimilate them right into their culture. So they're teaching them their science. They're teaching them their language. They also give them different names. And we mentioned this last week. Daniel is actually called Belteshazzar. And we mentioned that because what does that name invoke? There's a, there's a part of that name that invokes something. What's that? Right? Uh, Bel. Bel. Bel, yep. Bel, which is their idol, their God. And so Bel-Teshazzar is actually a name that invokes the name of their idol. But Daniel receives the name. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they receive the names. They don't fight those things. What was it that Daniel and the three Hebrews said, we can't do this? They, they drew a line in the sand. Of food. We can't eat of the king's meat, right? We can't eat of his table because that will violate God's law. God has said not to do that. We can't do that. And again, they set this kind of like a challenge, right? Let us eat these things and compare us at the end of this time to those that ate of the king's table and check our countenance. See, do we look healthy? Do we look as vibrant as them? And if we do, then we can keep doing this. And we said it last week, the prince of the eunuchs that was in charge of this group took a step of faith. Because if he would have presented Daniel and the three Hebrews as different then, they didn't look as healthy, they didn't look as vibrant, he could have lost his life, the Bible says. So he took a step of faith. He trusted in Daniel, right, in the three Hebrews, because it says that Daniel had favor with him. So again, we see God working in all of this. And last week, the whole thing we wanted to really draw it down to was, we all, as followers of Christ, look at our culture and there's things in our culture that we can assimilate into, right? We are, we are examples of our culture, right? You eat the way you do, you think the way you do a lot of times, you, you do the things you do because of your culture a lot of times. The way we worship, right, is different than if we went to a tribal group and we worshiped in their church service. It'd be a lot different than what we do in worship. Not right, not wrong, just different. And we mentioned this, right? The Bible says that every tribe, language, people group, every tongue will come to Christ. We talked about this on Wednesday night when it talks about Revelation chapter 5. That the worship will be different in those different people groups, language, tribes, and tongues. And that's okay. Because cultures are different. But in our culture, there are things that we cannot assimilate into. There are mindsets and ways of thinking and motivations. We have to draw a line. And when we draw that line, we call that a conviction. Now, there's biblical convictions, right? There's things the Bible says, this is what you must do or not do. There's other things that are personal convictions influenced by the Bible. So you may have a conviction not to do X, Y, or Z. The Bible doesn't say you have to or can't. You've come to the conclusion, for me, I'm not doing that. And I believe it's based in this biblical truth. I think Zach brought up a great point last week. That as we're growing in Christ, when we're first saved, there might be personal convictions that we put boundaries around ourselves because there may be a sin issue that we're tempted with. So we put a conviction, a boundary around ourselves so that we won't give into that sin. But as we grow in Christ, that sin loses some of that power. So our personal convictions begin to change. Some of you grew up in churches where you were told you're not supposed to go to the movies. When I was first saved in this church, that's what we were told. You don't go to the movies because if you go to the movies and someone sees you in the line at the movies, they don't know if you're going to this R-rated movie or this PG-13 rated movie. And so you're being a stumbling block. Now, again, I see the point, but going or not going to the movies is a personal conviction, not a biblical one. The biblical conviction would be when you get to the movies, what you put before your eyes. That's where the biblical things come into play. Okay. By the way, William, I did just realize that you are not even sitting next to your dear wife. She's by herself. Man, it's not a good example. But That's okay. We'll pray for you. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's fine. You do have a pretty impressive beard, so I don't want to you know, upset you too much. The rage might come out. Um, so when we think about convictions, there's biblical convictions. There's things that are dogmatic. It's in scripture. But there's personal convictions. The problem comes when we take a personal conviction and put it on someone else. That's legalism. So someone may have the personal conviction to wear a suit and tie to church. Is there anything wrong with that? Absolutely not. Okay. But that conviction is a personal conviction. So when I tell you that's my conviction, that's fine. When I tell you that's now your conviction because it's my conviction, that's legalism. The problem though is it goes all kinds of different directions. That's just one easy example. And so again, we have to be careful there. What is the biblical conviction with dress modesty. That's the biblical example. We need to be modest, but how that plays out is personal convictions. So again, we kind of covered all of that last week that Daniel and the three Hebrews, they're assimilated to some degree in the culture. They've learned the language. They're, they're acclimated to the culture, but there are things that they definitively say we cannot do this and we must draw strong convictions, not emotional responses. And I said this last week, if you have a conviction of church attendance, you'll attend church faithfully. If you have an emotional response to church attendance, you will not attend church faithfully. Because emotions come and go, rise and fall. This is why if you have a conviction that's based in truth, it'll be lived out faithfully. If you just respond emotionally, it's going to go as you feel. I feel like going to church today. I don't feel like going to church today. It's in flux. It's in flux. This is why a lot of times the beginning of January and into the beginning of February, you'll see a lot of churches a lot fuller because it's the new year and it's a resolution and I'm emotionally charged and it's going to be different, but it's not based in a conviction. It's based in an emotional response to the turning of a calendar. And unfortunately, what happens is that will fizzle out. But if we base it in a conviction, we'll live it out faithfully, not perfectly, but we're going to be a lot more likely to live it out faithfully. So here we see... Moving from that into chapter two, this idea of praying with passion. So it's common for all of us, even non Christians, to pray and ask God for help when a problem arises. There's obviously nothing wrong with that because God invites invites all people to pray and talk to Him. But we should ask ourselves am I seeking God or am I just seeking an answer from Him? Daniel and his friends needed God's help desperately. They prayed. God answered, and Daniel kept the focus on God and not just on the answer he gave. So we can all, in Christ, we can come to the Father and ask for things when we're in in dire need. But when he answers or when he moves or when he does something that we want him to do or not do, we focus not on the answer or the seemingly lack of an answer. We focus on God. So when have you felt clueless how to fix something. So we did this last week. There's going to be some discussion questions. So we want to encourage you guys to have some discussion and to respond. But just in general, when have you felt clueless about how to fix something? Not even spiritually, just in life. Any examples of that? Felt clueless about how to fix something? Okay, marriage. Yeah. Anything else? Yes, car. Car. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Thank God for YouTube, right? Like there's, I could not have fixed anything without YouTube. And even with YouTube, I still struggle, right? Which you ever notice the YouTube video is like two and a half minutes long. It don't take two and a half minutes to fix anything, right? It's like 45 minutes later. I'm like, this guy was done with this part in 30 seconds. Okay. But there's this thing called editing, right? They cut and stop again. Any other examples of when you felt utterly clueless about how to fix something? How does that feel... When you feel that way, like, how do you feel when you sit there and you think, I don't know how to fix this? It could be a physical thing, a relationship thing, whatever it might be. What comes to mind? How do you feel about that? Like, you know, it needs to be fixed. You have zero idea on how to fix it. How does that make you feel? Okay. And you know, so you're you're frustrated, you're worried, like how oh, am I gonna get to work? Or maybe okay. uh okay, whatever or, you know, so like all these and then you're like oh no, god is in control. Right. So it's like all this like bas vac- like vacillating of emotions sure. you know, and like I think yeah, so there's just like one example of like, overall frustration of something's broken, I can't fix it. Mm-hmm. And then in your flesh you're like oh, and then you're like, Okay, but God Yes. So I love that frustration, right? Worry because you're connecting it to other things in your life. Absolutely. For sure. And then ultimately we know we can trust God, but let's be honest for a second in our flesh. We would love to all say that we have perfect faith, that when you go through something difficult, your initial reaction every single time is to go, oh, but praise God, he's in control. We know that's true. We believe that's true. But in those moments, there's times we don't practically show that that's true, right? Sometimes frustration can take over. Zach. Zach. That's how your hand go up. Okay. For me, working and if I get look at I usually have a customer standing over my shoulder, expecting me to know what you Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I couldn't imagine. I would be like, you need to leave. Like you need to go somewhere else. You cannot stand there and watch me, but anxiety, right? You want to be able to take care of it, but you feel anxious, right? You don't know how to resolve it here in Daniel chapter two. And we're going to look at a few verses here. So we're not going to go through the whole chapter. We see an example of Daniel and the three Hebrews coming against the problem. And there's going to be a desperate need for them to try to ask God, God, we don't know how to fix this problem. You need to intervene. And I believe there might've been some anxiety maybe a little bit of concern, worry, all those things coming into play as well. Daniel chapter 2 verse 1 tells us that Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams wherewith his spirit was troubled and his sleep brake from him. So here this idea of dreams is plural in the original text. Nebuchadnezzar had more than one dream or the same dream more than once. Further, he was troubled, the text tells us, by these dreams, meaning he was deeply disturbed by them. So much so, he could not sleep. So when he did sleep, he had these very concerning, uh, frustrating, even fearful dreams, nightmare almost type dreams. And then when that that was happening, he couldn't sleep because he was dwelling on these dreams. Then it tells us in the passage in verse 2 that he summoned the magicians and the astrologers and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans to him. Each of these groups practiced a different form of the dark arts. Magicians refers to those skilled in magical lore. The term rendered astrologers can refer either to necromaniacs or necromancers or mediums. So again, this idea of dealing with the dead. Uh, Sorcerers refers to those who use incantations or witchcraft. And the Chaldeans, as used in this verse, refers to a special group of astrologers or wise men, the wisest of the wise. That Nebuchadnezzar summoned the four groups together shows the desperate nature of his situation. He is so desperate to figure out what is going on. Why am I having these dreams? What do these dreams mean? So he calls together the whole council of anyone and everyone that was involved in some level of, of spiritual or magical or some kind of astrology. I need to know what this means. So let's pick up the text in Daniel chapter 2. In verses 13 through 16. So if I can get a volunteer that would like to read that. Daniel chapter 2 verses 13 through 16. Avi, awesome, thank you. just to verse 16. Thank you. So here we see the king's frustrated. And if you know the story, what did the king want to have happen? He asked this big group of people, what does he ask of them? You need to do this. You need to tell me what the dream was. And then what? Tell me what it means. When they couldn't do that, what was his decision? I'm just going to kill you all. Like that shows you how disturbed he was in this, how... Just desperately, he was wanting to find an answer. And he's basically saying, you guys are all fakes and phonies. If you can't do this, then you're not worth it. And so here, Daniel, where's Daniel at, by the way? He's not even in the group, right? He's not there. He doesn't know. They show up to kill him, and Daniel says, whoa, 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 whoa what's all this about? And they tell him. He kind of tells them the whole thing and everything else. And what is Daniel's response? I loved obvious translation there. He handled it with respect, right? He was, he was gracious And he asked for some time. Just give me some time. Let me talk to the king and we'll figure this thing out. And so here Daniel is presented with a pretty big problem. If Daniel cannot tell him the dream and what it means, then him and the other three Hebrews that we know of will be killed. And so Daniel's in a situation where he's in desperate need of the Lord's help. So one of the key truths we want to point out in the passage tonight is when problems arise, Choose to seek God. So when problems arise, choose to seek God. And this is what Daniel is going to do. The advisors to the king certainly couldn't be expected to read the king's mind and to know the dream itself. It was an impossible task. By the way, the king is right. They're all fakes. (laughs) These are all non-godly or ungodly, even satanic practices and they are in a bind because they don't know they can't understand that here's also another point satan can't read your mind the only person that can read your mind or know what you're thinking in your heart and mind is god why because only god is omniscient now people will say well yeah but doesn't doesn't it say that satan desired to sift peter like wheat yeah that means he was trying to shake him up Trying to get him to think some things and do some things. Satan can create environments that make us want to think things, but Satan can't actually read your mind. So how is it possible then that it sure seems like he can? How is it that he knows how to tempt us in just the right way? How how could he do that? So like if you're sitting on YouTube looking at a certain thing. Sure. Okay? So, okay? Observation, right? He's just observant, okay? He's watching us. By the way, he's not just watching you, he's watching all of human history. And if there's one thing we've learned from studying the Bible, are humans really different from now than they were in the Garden of Eden? Now, different temptations, different degrees of things, but we're still the same creatures, right? Another thought would be, maybe you keep blaming Satan, but the one that's tempting you and putting that thought in your head and seems to know exactly where to pull you in is actually you. What does James 1 say? Lust of the flesh, right? Now, there's the pride of life, right? First John talks about that, the pride of life, but there's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. That's internal. That's me just wanting those things. Satan's not putting those things on my head my my own flesh is coming against me. And so here when we think about this idea, they could not tell the king because they don't know. Only God knows what was the dream was about. Only God can know what was going on in his heart and his mind. But as Daniel knew, he served a God who majored in the impossible. I love that line from the curriculum. Daniel served a God who majored in the impossible. It's impossible to do this task. No one can do it. And Daniel says, just give me some time. And in Daniel's mind, it's simple. I'm going to seek the Lord. I'm going to give it to God. So he chose to press into the problem in two ways. Two specific ways. Daniel went directly to the king. What would that mean of Daniel's character? Hey, my name is, Daniel. is it really? That's awesome, buddy. So what would this tell you of Daniel's character? How did, he went to the king. So what does that tell you about him? What's that? Confident. Confident. Again, not confident in himself, but confident in his God, right? What else does this tell us about him? How about, oh yeah, go go ahead. What's that? He's bold, a hundred percent. You could say he's also courageous, right? Bold and courageous. What did the king say was going to happen to all these guys who didn't tell him the dream and interpret it? They were going to be killed. So Daniel says, let me go talk to him. You think the king's in a mood to have a conversation? But Daniel goes. So he handles the problem in two ways. One, he goes right to the king. He was courageous enough to go to the source, right? But secondly, Daniel went directly to God. So he was bold and courageous to go to the king, but he was also humble enough to know he needed God's help. And we're going to really see that unpacked in the next passage there. So knowing we can go to God, knowing that he's understanding what we're going through, knowing that he deals in the impossible, he can do things we can't even imagine. Why do we seem, as Christians even, why do we seem to wait until matters become urgent before seeking God? We know all of that's true of God. We know who he is as followers of Christ. But why is it that most Christians, maybe many, wait until matters seem so bleak, and so urgent and so desperate before we actually go and seek him. Why do you think that is? Pride. Okay. You guys agree with that? Pride? Yeah. We have to humble ourselves, right? I can't, but you can. Why else do you think we wait to go to that, that point? Sandra? Okay. Fear. What do you mean by Fear. Fear, you might have to make changes in yourself. I love that. I I don't want to go to God. I know I should, and I need to, and he'll fix it. But by fixing it, I might have to be different. I might have to give something up. I might have to stop doing this and start doing that. Great point. Any other ideas on that? Why is it that we wait until matters seem so bleak before we go to God in prayer, before we pray? Pride, fear. Avi. of Okay. Okay. Not that big of a deal. Right. Yeah. Okay. Then right. Okay, just apathy. It's just not that big a deal. Kelsey, did you have something? I was gonna say habit. Okay. Because, I, I, um, because of pride, because of not going to him, because of, it's not a habit. That's, that's great. It's not a habit. I'm so used to when things go wrong, going to people in my life mm-hmm. and going to them for wisdom or help or encouragement. I've not developed the habit of going to the Father first. It doesn't mean we don't go to other people and seek help, but we should always go there first. But if we don't have that habit as a new Christian or even as a mature, a mature Christian, meaning we've been saved for a long period of time, then our habit is going to be to go to people and not God. So absolutely, I think that's a true, a true statement. In the next verses here, uh, we see the importance of expectantly seeking God's wisdom and guidance when we pray. So when we pray, we're seeking his wisdom and we're expecting him to answer. So verses 17 through 19. Verses 17 through 19. If I can get another volunteer that would like to read that for us, that would be great. 17 through 19. Who'd like to read that for us? Going on, Sandra. Awesome, thank you. Then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning the secret, so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision, so Daniel blessed the God of heaven. All right, thank you. So here we see this idea... That, that Daniel and his friends, they pray and they seek the Lord. And what are they asking? They're asking that they would not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. That they are asking God to intervene. They're asking God to do something. Now, you've probably read this story. I know I've read this story countless times. We've heard about Daniel and the dream of Nebuchadnezzar. And again, there's veggie Tales, right? There's all kinds of times we've heard this. We heard this in Sunday school as kids or junior church or VBS or whatever. I always missed until just really a few years ago, the, the moments I used to always think, man, what faith did Daniel have to pray and seek the Lord? And God gave him the understanding and he told the King, and it was this great, this great moment of God's glory. I don't know how I missed for all those years that Daniel's friends were involved, that he didn't just go to God and go, okay, God, you and me, we got to figure this out. He went to his friends and said, Hey, let's pray about this. But all the credit, most of the time, goes to Daniel. But he wasn't by himself. Now, the three Hebrews don't go with Daniel to the king to interpret the dream. But they're just as much involved because they prayed. And so, so often, we go through things. And we go to prayer, which we should. But man, we have a beautiful and wonderful system of support in the church. That we can go say, hey, would you pray for me about this thing? I need to make a decision. Would you pray for me? I'm always blown away by the amount of times that I've tried to make decisions without invoking the help of God's people in prayer. And yet when I'm asked to pray for someone about something, I absolutely love that. Isn't it amazing when you get a text message says, "Hey, this is going on. I need to make a decision. Would you pray for me?" Like as a Christian, you're like, "Thank you. That's amazing. I love that I get to do this." Not that it's about us, but it's about being there to to kind of speak on behalf of those people. And so here we see Daniel's friends get involved in the process. They desperately needed God's mercy and compassion. Now here, mercy refers to compassion and is used here in the plural to emphasize the intensity of the mercies for which the four prayed. Now here we can see that prayer, I'm sorry, pray and expectantly seek God's wisdom and guidance. So one of our key truths we want to key in on here is that we need to pray and expectantly seek God's wisdom and guidance. Daniel didn't treat prayer as a last resort. He knew it was his first and best option. Again, far too often, we only begin to pray with passion and fervency when we're at the end of our rope. Why? Because of what we talked about. In addition to those things, we underestimate God. We talked about pride and fear and apathy. I think we lack in prayer because we really underestimate who God is. We underestimate what God can do. We must trust not only that he is attentive, but he also has the power to do something. And he has the wisdom to do the right thing. So why do we pray? Because we pray and ask, God, God, you can do something about this. You are able to do something about this. And you have the wisdom to do the right thing. So one of the reasons we wait to pray is because we underestimate God. The other thing we kind of touch down with pride is we overestimate ourselves. We overestimate what we can do. We believe ourselves to be wiser, stronger, and more resourceful than we are. Really what we're saying is, God, I got this. I I got this. I can take care of this. And the reality is we can't, right? A prayer made in faith comes with expectation. When we pray in faith, we believe not only that God hears us, but that he will act. What an amazing gift that God gives to us in prayer. So, what are the benefits of inviting others to pray with you in a time of need? What are some benefits to inviting others into inviting them into praying with you during your time of need? Zach. Yeah, absolutely. It's a blessing to others. They see the effects of that being worked out in your life by God's moving and leading. Absolutely. What anyone else? Okay. Where two or more are gathered, God is with them, right? So we're involving them because we want to be in, in the presence of God and worship in that way. Absolutely. It invites them into that present relationship. Anyone else? Benefits of inviting others to pray with you in a time of need. Okay. (laughs) So vocalizing it to someone else gives God an opportunity to smack you a little bit. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Right. I got you. So sometimes that, that strong wisdom... Like sitting away from your wife during church, right? Yeah. You, not yet. Not yet. We're still praying for you. We're going to pray on it. Um, but no, there, I mean, there's a great truth there, right? Sometimes vocalizing it gets it out and now you can get another opinion on it, another perspective on it, maybe see it in a different way. And you go, Oh oh, yeah, I guess I didn't think about that or that's this or that. So absolutely. Avi. You're not telling anybody, so that you're not getting other people to pray for you. You're not getting other people to come alongside and encourage. But the other thing is, you're not being transparent to other people to let them know that, oh, hey, me too. Mm. And then there's like this false, like fake Christian, like leave it to be their smile on everybody's face in church, like we're all fine and we're not all right. Right. Mm-hmm. and then who gets the glory God? Yes. So that's the other thing back to the question is God is more glorified when yeah. more people are seeking him in uh, petitions. Yes. And I, I love what you said at the very beginning that when we don't say anything that, that Satan, our enemy, and our flesh love that because the more we just dwell on it the more we're going to not have victory over that thing or not see God in it or we start to feel defeated but you invite others into that and now it... It opens in a, uh, in your eyes to what God really can do. And, again, he's more glorified and magnified through that. Absolutely. John. I think, uh, yeah. I hey, okay. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah, there's accountability involved in that, right? Which is one of the greatest blessings of being a part of a local church is accountability, right? Local relationships saying, hey, I noticed this, or you voiced something. Hey, pray for me about this. You can kind of open that relationship. Absolutely. David. Uh, Just sharing with uh, others is kind of the first step in that humility that we need, right? You're starting to squash the pride just enough. Even if you're not willing to say, I need help because you're sharing it, you're you're headed in that direction. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> right, yeah. I love that. It starts the process of humility, right? It's one step towards that admitting I can't do this, right? Absolutely. Any other thoughts on that? Deanna? I think really general, you uh, Have a relationship with other followers if you're not being Hmm. That, that's a great point. Yeah. Yeah, we have to be intentional and vulnerable to have real relationship with other believers, right? Because, again, flip it around. If someone came to you and was that vulnerable and transparent, you would, you would instantly feel like, okay, we have a relationship. Like, you must care of me and think of me enough. You're wanting me involved in that. That makes you feel like you're a close friend and there's something special there. But absolutely, when we flip it around the other way, we're like, ah, I don't want to bother people. Or I don't want to, you know. No, no, no. It's all about being a part of the body of Christ. Absolutely. Any other thoughts on that? Great, great dialogue. Absolutely love that. Yeah. There's a comfort in knowing that I was praying for you? Absolutely. Because sometimes one of our biggest, let me rephrase, my, one of my biggest difficulties in the Christian faith, I know God is there, but we can't see him. Right? We can't touch him. We can't talk to him verbally like we would like to. Uh, We don't hear audible responses from God. So sometimes just talking to another believer kind of takes that faith and makes it a little bit more tangible. Uh, And I'm not saying we need that. God is sufficient. God's word is sufficient. All of that. I'm just being maybe a little transparent here. I know I, there's been times in my life I'm like, okay, God, I know you got this, but I would really love to hear those words expressed from someone else. That I'm not just, I'm only thinking this. No one else is. I want to know, is someone else thinking this? Is someone else understanding this as well? So absolutely. Uh, The next verses, we're going to talk about this idea that it's important to acknowledge God as the source and the answer to our prayer. And then after that, we'll wrap up here in just a few moments. But um, one more passage that we need to kind of dive into. Uh, So Daniel 2, verses 20 through 23. And so I'm going to need two more readers, actually, that would like to do this. So Daniel 2, 20 through 23, and then verses 27 and 28. So somebody that would like to read Daniel 2, 20 through 23, who'd like that one? William. And then verses 27 and 28, who'd like that one? Zach. Awesome. Thank you. Appreciate it. I saw that hand go up. It was a spiritual hand. It wasn't a physical hand, but it was a spiritual hand. He raised it. So Daniel two twenty through 23. Go ahead, William, whenever you're ready. And then Zach, 27 and 28, please. Okay, so here we see some very important truths as Daniel's beginning this process of revealing these things to the king. The first thing we have to note is that you see this idea of thankfulness and praise. There's thankfulness and praise. So to thank and to praise. These two verbs together stress the fullness of Daniel's gratitude to God for answering Daniel's prayer. The word rendered thee stresses the one to whom all thanks and praise should be ascribed. All thanks and praise goes to God. Also, notice that Daniel thanked and praised God. He included mention of the supplications of his praying friends, referring to what we desired and what God has made known unto us. Did you catch that? We prayed for this and God told us. Who's the us? Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so, again, Daniel's not forgetting those inv- individuals that were involved. It's just as important as Daniel's prayer. So the last kind of key truth that we want to kind of tie in here is we acknowledge God as the source of the answer. So we acknowledge God as the source of the answer. Daniel and his friends prayed in faith and waited in expectation for God's answer. But that wasn't the end. Daniel was quick to give credit where credit was due. His declaration and praise in these verses is a beautiful acknowledgement of the character and power of God. When we think big thoughts about God, we think little thoughts of ourselves. I love that. When we think big thoughts of God, we think little thoughts of ourselves. When Daniel went to the king and told him that he had the answer to the mystery, he was quick to divert any measure of glory or credit away from himself and back to God. Notice he says, nobody can tell you what the answer is to your question, what your dream was or what it means. Nobody, not anybody in this group can do that. He says, but there is a God in heaven, and that God can reveal things to mankind. Now, there are a lot of things about God we don't know. There's a lot of things about God's will that we don't know. There's the, the what some have called the secret will of God or the unknowable will of God, and there's the revealed will of God. The word of God gives us the revealed will of God. Those are the things that are clear, concise. We know how to be saved because God tells us, This is how we come to know salvation. But there's things about God that God has chosen not to tell us. There's things about heaven we don't know yet. There's things that the way God functions and and the way he deals in things, we don't know all of that. And that's okay because he's God and we're not. So all we need to focus in on, okay, but what he has revealed, am I submitting to what he has revealed? Am I submitting to what I can understand from the word of God by his grace, by the working of his spirit? And Daniel says, no, no, this God can make things known that nobody else can know. Paul actually talks about the mystery of the gospel that before wasn't known, but now is made known. So you even understand, even in God's word, there was this kind of unknown nature about salvation, even about heaven and hell. When you read the Old Testament, you don't read a lot of things about certain things. We get to the New Testament and all of a sudden you're like, oh, oh. and the, the lights kind of come on a little bit. Because again, these things are being revealed according to God's time. So Daniel acknowledged that God is the source of the answer. So when you think about all that Daniel just said, what are some ways that we can honor God when he answers our prayers? Some of it may be similar to what Daniel did, or it may be unique to you in that situation. But what are some ways that we can honor God when he answers our prayers? Or acknowledge God as the source of the answer. Avi. Well, I mean just for starters to allow him to start with some strength this, this morning. Mhm. To be thankful. Yeah. I mean regardless of even how the prayer is answered, I think we talked about this before like God, you're condescending to listen to my prayers. Mm-hmm. Hear the words out my mouth. Yeah. Yeah. Just even for hearing our prayers. I love that. Before an answer is given or not given or it doesn't go the way we want, we're just thankful God, even you hearing my prayers is overwhelming. Absolutely. How else can we honor God when he hears and, and responds to our prayers or answers our prayers? How can we do what Daniel did here? Yeah, Zach. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I, I love that. We thank him for the answer we received, even if it's the answer we didn't want, right? So we may pray for something. God goes a completely different direction, answers the prayer, but not the way we would have wanted it. And we thank him anyway. I, I love that. Absolutely. What are some other ways that we can honor the Lord when he answers our prayers? Yeah, Kelsey. Just by telling others when he answers okay. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, telling others what he's done, right? No matter again what the answer is, but telling others he is the one that is doing this, right? I don't know about you, but as I've been in ministry for a few years now, uh, when we have a time of prayer and praise request, um, most of the time there are praise things that are mentioned, but a lot of times, if you've been in church a long time, and you've been in enough prayer meetings, and I'm talking like, you know, where all you were doing was giving prayer requests and praises, and we're talking 45 minutes or so of just that, Um, 90% of the time, it's a lot of prayer requests. That's fine, right? Nothing wrong with that. Hey, pray for this, pray for that. But I've always wondered, why is it so, like, request-heavy, not very praise-heavy? And so I think we're very, I think a lot of Christians are very apt to say, pray for, and by the way, it's like, Maybe 95% of those prayer requests are health related, right? So again, it kind of goes back to what David said. We're okay praying certain things and and opening those doors. But when we start saying, hey, pray for this specific thing, we're taking a step of humility, right? We all pray for so-and-so's kidney and liver and this and that and that and this. But you don't hear a lot of people in a prayer meeting say, hey, would you pray for me? I'm battling with envy. Hey, pray for me. I'm battling with, with bitterness, Hey, pray for me. I'm really struggling in this very specific, transparent area. We don't hear that a lot. And then when God answers those requests, sometimes we go, man, praise God he answered that. And the next prayer meeting, we're like, eh, he took care of it. I don't need to say anything. But how amazing is it to say, I just want to take a second and just praise God. We prayed for this and God did this. And we can praise him for that. So absolutely, we're telling others for that. Any other thoughts on that, how we can honor God when he's answering those Prayers, so those requests. Telling others about it, making it known, being thankful. Yeah, Dave. He's talking about the the chef who you know says the little prayer then when we get the cake out of the pan perfect and then they do it, they say, Oh, I must have good karma. Yeah. Okay. So we pray, we ask God to work in that situation. When he answers, we give him the credit. We don't take the credit for ourselves or say it was a good coincidence or well, things just worked out that way or whatever. Absolutely. Yeah, give credit to the Lord where it's due. Absolutely. Any other thoughts on that, Kelsey? Okay. Okay, so it leads to actually growing in service to Christ and growing in submitting to his will practically. Absolutely, yeah. Any other thoughts? Okay, yeah. So because we did it and we saw how he moved, next time hopefully we'll get to that point a lot quicker, right? We'll take that step a lot faster. Absolutely. Uh, Just it's kind of an evaluation for yourself to kind of take. This is not a question we need to answer out loud. But in the, in the study, it gives us some kind of practical tips to help us apply these things. So one of the questions that's asked here, then again, this is just for you to kind of think through. What actions will you take in response to this study tonight? So don't answer out loud. But I want you to think about that. Everything we just talked about. All the questions and the conversation and the good dialogue. In response to that, what are some practical steps that you will take? Now, they give you some examples here, so I'll read a few of these, and maybe this might speak to something that the Lord's leading you to do. So one of the things is we can ask for prayer. Don't let pride or insecurity prevent you from asking others to pray for you. Ask at least one other person to pray for you this week. So practically speaking, application, this week, ask one other person to pray for you. And you might be thinking, well, but I don't have anything, you know, crazy going on. I don't have a big decision to make. No, no, no. Just ask someone to pray for you. You know, one of the prayers that I love asking people to pray for me about, I have some pastor friends that almost every Sunday morning, sometimes earlier than I like because I like to sleep in a little on Sunday and my phone's going off on the side because apparently my pastor friends are all like up at like five in the morning. I don't know what's up with that, but um, I-, I love getting texts from a couple pastor friends that are like, hey, pray in these specific things over you and your church today. By the way, we have elders of other churches praying over our church every single Sunday. So when God moves in some way or people get saved, it's not just us doing it. It's God answering the prayers of the body of Christ. Um, And it's amazing to hear those men share those things. But one thing I love to ask pastoral friends to pray for, and I would ask you to pray for it too, is Paul prays and says, pray for me and do this for me, that I will have the boldness to speak what I need to speak when I need to speak it. And I'm paraphrasing. But he talks about that in the armor of God. Right, he talks about prayer being that supplication for the saints and praying for the saints. And he says, and would you pray for me that I'll say what I need to say when I need to say it based on God's will and God's word? This is the Apostle Paul, the greatest Christian missionary ever, wrote a third in the New Testament. And he says, would you pray for me that I'll say what I'm supposed to say and be bold in my speech? And so, again, you might think, well, there's no big thing coming up, no big work decision, no big crisis. No, no, just ask somebody, would you just pray for me that I'll walk with the Lord this week? hey, would you pray for me that I'll be in the word this week every day? Something simple. Also, another practical application is to talk about prayer. Talk with others about things you're currently praying for, as well as prayers God has answered. Pray together. Make a list of people of the same gender you can ask to pray with you regularly and form your own prayer group. I thought that was a cool application there. So again, we would encourage you, here's some practical tips you can do to, start praying passionately. We would invite you to take time to pray before service on Sunday mornings during our gap time, which is a room we set aside that you can take a couple of minutes and prepare your heart and mind. You can pray and ask God to draw your heart close to him before you go into the service. And we would encourage you, this is really, really important. Prayer is the visible evidence of our faith in Christ. We pray because we believe he is good, gracious, and loves us. We trust that regardless of the answer, his will is going to be Accomplished, which is the furthering of his glory and his will. So let's pray. We'll ask the Lord to be with us as we go into the week ahead and to continue to help us to grow in this area of prayer. Father, we thank you for your love and your grace in our lives. We thank you, Lord, for being the God that you declare yourself to be. Father, we are sorry for making you a God that you're not, for prescribing things to you that are not. Things that you would think, say, or do. And so, Lord, we ask that your word would conform our thinking. That your word would guide us and direct us into how we view you and how we should think of you. Thank you for being a God that is in tune to our deepest needs. That has the power to act in accordance with what we need. And the wisdom to do the things that need to be done when they need to be done. And so, Father, we give you all the praise and all the glory. Would you help us to be more committed to prayer this week? Not only in praying ourselves for the different needs and things that come to our attention. But praying for others. Lord, asking others to pray for us. To have that kind of open and transparent relationship. As was said tonight, Lord, a vulnerable and real relationship with other believers. It doesn't mean we tell everybody everything. But Lord, it does mean that we're humble enough to admit that we all need help. And we can ask to pray. And ask to be prayed for. And so, Lord, again, would you work this all out in our practical lives daily, that we would be in tune to what your desires are for us. And, Lord, again, all of this is for your glory and for your praise. Give us a week ahead where we can honor you and bring us back on Wednesday, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, God bless you guys. So they're done at 7.15, so we got a little bit of time. You can...